everybody. Coming up on the Matt Townsend Show today, we're talking about parenting. You know, first you get your baby to sleep through the night, then they're potty trained, then you got them reading. Suit kids are a lot of fun, right? And then you've got it all figured out, and then all of a sudden, they turn into 13-year-olds. And everything you've learned goes out the window. We're talking teenagers after the news with our little teen, Sam McCall. This is Sam McCall for BYU Radio News. President Obama is joining thousands of marchers in Washington today to commemorate the 50th anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Bell-ringing ceremonies are being held around the globe to mark the moment the iconic address ended. A military jury is sentencing Major Nadal Hassan to death for the 2009 Fort Hood, Texas rampage in which he killed 13 fellow soldiers and wounded dozens more. Death sentences are generally rare in the armed forces. It's been over 50 years since the military last executed a soldier. The massive California wildfire, which has already destroyed 111 buildings, is moving even closer to Yosemite National Park, further limiting firefighters' options. Crews have had to close a second of four total access roads into the park, but have brought the blaze to 20 percent containment. The judge overseeing Detroit's bankruptcy filing ruled the city can continue to access $11 million a month in casino tax revenues while the court reviews a deal with one of the city's many creditors related to the steady cash flow. According to Allstate America's Best Drivers report released this week, northern Colorado is home to the best drivers in the nation, while Washington, D.C. drivers are twice as likely to be in an accident than the national average. In world news, as Western powers ready an attack, Syrian civilians are stocking up on bottled water and supplies, and some are simply leaving their homes behind. Meanwhile, United Nations Chief Ban Ki-moon is urging patience while U.N. investigators complete their efforts to discover who and what caused an apparent chemical attack last week, which residents say killed hundreds. Police in Russia have seized a painting from a gallery in St. Petersburg, which features President Vladimir Putin in tight-fitting ladies' undergarments. Authorities claim the work violates laws against the spread of so-called gay propaganda. That's the news to the top of the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. I think that we need to draw these connections every single day. Get your day started off on the right foot. The Morning Show with Marcus Smith. Weekdays on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Talk about good. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your relationship coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program where we try to educate you, give you some tools to deal with your family and your friends. And today we're going to be talking about those cute little teens. Oh, those cute odiferous. Is that a word? Oliferous. What's the odor smelling? Odorous? Odorous? Odiferous is the word. Odiferous? Yes. Is it odiferous or oliferous? Odysseus? Odysseus would be different. We're talking about the the teen, the beautiful gift from heaven sent to test all your faculties as a parent. I mean, sure, they're one thing when they're babies and you're changing them, but they're just cute, cute little bugs in a rug. Then they turn into a teenager. Their face gets all oily. Oily and they're breaking out and their attitude starts to peak. And you start to see this little sense inside of them that, hey, they think they've got freedom and agency. We must stop that. 
And then you try to crush it, and then you're like, no, that's bad parenting. And then the police get called, and you have a little intervention. And then they turn 14, and you do it again. And you do this for about six years, and then they leave your house, and then you're sad when they're gone. Which is weird considering the past six years. Isn't it weird? (sighs) Parenting. That's what we're talking about today, parenting the teen. So here's the question of the day. And I've got a bunch of just – actually, you're just barely all post-teen. Um, By 10 years. Yeah. Well, aren't we all post-teen? I'm at five years. Yeah, Merritt. And Merritt is – Aaron? Six years. Six years. Merritt, back to you. I okay. – no comment. Okay. <laughs> Merritt is still technically she's a still teenager. Teen. Still technically. But you know what? You're at, the, you're at the good end. You're 19. I'm at the good end, yeah. But wow. she acts like she's 30. She's the mature one of the bunch. So we're talking teens. Now, um, by the way, just fond – were you guys fond of your teen years? No. Mara. I still feel like I can't comment. Yeah, Mary's like, I'm still in them, and I don't know anything different. My life hit its peak when I turned 16. Oh, really? Because you got the car. So, like, yeah, I was all leading up to getting my driver's the license. The height of and your then existence was... And then since then, it's been expense and tickets yeah. and 11 years. crashes. So for 11 years, you've been on the downhill slope of your life. That's sad. That's sad. You're a good man. Don't but, give it up. But, but life is happier on this side. Is it? Because I can drive. You can drive and yeah. date. Yeah. That's true. That is at 16. But that you know, I was a lot more excited about the driver's license. Were oh, you? Yeah? Oh, yeah. Did you get it first thing? Boom. No, I, I figured out uh, you can get the learner's permit, the upgraded one, where you can drive with anybody over 21. Yeah. And then it counts on their license. So, so if you crash. Their insurance. Yeah. I didn't have to pay for insurance, so I, I milked that for a few months. Wow. That was great. But, you know, any crimes you commit would still count for you, towards you. Only if it was a felony. Really? You thought this through? Yeah. So so if I was speeding, then yeah. that's the other guy's fault for letting me yeah. speed Why on his Why would you let license. me speed? I'm, a, I'm just 16. I'm If 15. I drove my car through a mall, though, they probably would try to press some charges on me. Yeah. But I didn't try that. Now, Merritt grew up in Idaho where they let you drive at six. Is that true, Merritt? No, it's fourteen. Is it fourteen? Mm-hmm. You know what? Why? Come on, why? Why they don't need that? That why? that used to be that way. They no, don't need that anymore because Idaho is primarily farmers, and they need people to drive on the farm. Come on, yeah, tractors, things like that. My kids I guess, like to drive it, on so. the golf course, but I don't need them to. I guess farming's different. Yeah, it's a little necessary. You know, so they still need it, huh? I guess they still need it. So, did you drive when you were fourteen? Um, no, I was 15. Late bloomer. Uh, yeah. I was Late more occupied bloomer. with other things. Mostly, I just didn't want to get up for the driver's ed class that was at 6 a.m. That just sounded awful to me. So. Yeah. I would have shown up at 545. <laughs> See, because you care about your car and driving and scaring people. We have to understand the town I lived in was also small enough that a car really wasn't necessary. It was useless. <laughs> like I can walk and I have a bike. Therefore, but the I can town get is freezing in the winter. That's true. But if you're riding your bike fast enough, it you ride your the bicycles in don't form that. You know, yeah. <laughs> well, it's better than sitting out warming your car up for ten minutes. Why to would drive you want to go minute. anywhere when it was that That's cold true. anyway? You just Very have a dash of hot cocoa. See, I was grateful to the taxpayers of Utah. Who worked and spent $2 billion over four years to completely rebuild the freeway just in time for my 16th birthday? Okay, Rob, you know what? It, You're strange. It all opened right but as you I turned can't 16. See, but like you really, that would have been the greatest birthday present for you. It was. And you actually thought it was yours. It, it was mine. 
All mine. You're like you were the only 16 year old at the grand opening of the new freeways, right? The The new my very first day on driver's ed, they got got my intimidation over quickly. They said, "Okay, first time on the road, yeah. Okay, turn left, turn left, up the light, turn left. Okay, freeway entrance, turn left." And then I was on the big freeway interchange in South Salt Lake, and I, oh, it was great. Such a good day. How many died? Nobody. Nobody died that day. I was giddy with excitement. Okay, don't you find this strange that you turn all of a sudden 15, we just say, hey, what we're going to do, forever we've been telling you to watch out, don't play in the street, wear a helmet, don't touch that wire, stuff like that. And then all of a sudden when you're 15, we say, hey, go take that 3,000-pound object, get it going about 70 miles an hour, drive it. I feel the same way, though, about like any age transition. And being younger as a junior Ish. in college, yeah. it's kind of annoying <laughs> Yeah, because people – it's like, oh, well, well, you're not – you know, you haven't officially reached that you're not a teen yet. And so like the minute people find out, they're like, oh, like, I can't I can't associate yeah. with yeah. you because – You're still underage. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's true because all of a sudden you can then vote. What is it? 18, all right? You yes, vote. You something... drink at 21. Apparently you can legally drink. Yeah. So that, that just means really at 21 you're ready. At 26, you can rent a car. Oh, really? Is it that 25. long? 20 is 25, but that's the next milestone. At 26, your insurance drops to where it's affordable. Oh, I'm so ready you for know that. You know what? Uh, no, it doesn't. <laughs> uh, at 44, it's still not affordable. But no, that's because I have a lot of teenagers driving. It, it, yeah, it also depends how you drive. Good point. True dad. Um, so here's the question. Do you think teens are just little adults? Or are they just really big kids? I'm going to say – Because you've been one. Uh, yes. Uh, I'm going to say they're they're big kids. I guess I guess are you really asking like how do we treat them? Like, yeah, what should we do? I mean because like my kids are starting – they start to exert more demands when they're older. They actually think they deserve certain things. They they think they have rights. They have entitlement to they, things they have like dinner. Yeah. And well, and like dinner when they want it and what they want. Like no, it's no, it's it's when I say. They even actually think they can make the dinner time. So they come in and actually start making a dinner, but it's just for like, them. Whoa, whoa, jump in the gun. No, I I'm going to say because some teenagers are they look like adults. They're as big as they're bigger than some yeah, adults. Hairier, D- certainly. Yeah. Um, mustachier than some adults. <laughs> I know, uh, poor girl. <laughs> um, I want to say they're they're like adults because they. Yeah, but you know, have you smelled them? I don't know. Have you smelled some adults? <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't. But thanks. It's interesting because you, they are adults, right? But when you're the parent and you're like, no, no. We're not making we're not making like macaroni and cheese at midnight, no. <laughs> Which is weird because no. I, I still kind of do that every. Yeah, but see, yeah. that's what I'm wondering. So <laughs> maybe maybe it's not about your age, Merritt. Maybe it's just now. One would hope. Maybe we got to go by some other indicator for when someone's an adult. Well, but see, this is the thing: is that a teenager has completely conflicting messages. So at this age in their life, they're supposed to be saving money for college. They're supposed to have relationships, and the media portrays that as adult relationships. Mm. Um, by law, in a lot of states, they can be tried as an adult. In Kansas, Ugh. they can be tried as an adult once they're age ten. But see, they and don't yet, know. They just think. But then they're there are other out. laws which require parental consent for them to do some things. So it's like completely conflicting messages, oh, yeah. and yet 
they still have to, you know, have a bedtime and a curfew and they still get punished and Grounded. their brain isn't completely formed. And When is the brain formed? I'm still waiting for that. It's about 26 for yeah. most people. Really? Guys, it's so, like 27, 28. So girls. maybe adult is about 24. 27. So Rob's just about to have brain formation. I'm at 98% brain. How, how old are you, Rob? Are you 28? I'm 28. You're, you're, yeah, you're there. I think I'm 100% brain? Yeah. Well, I don't know if any that of That means I won't 100%. ever get any smarter than I am right now. Well, maybe it just depends what you do from here on out. That's all downhill study, from here. <laughs> if you study. But it's interesting. 26, 27, 28. So really, maybe we ought not even let them leave the house till they're 28. You know, I don't know if that's a bad idea. A lot of them aren't doing that anyway. I know, right? That sometimes just happens by default. Every parent out there in listener land's thinking, oh, great. Now I've got to keep my kid till he's 28. Now, some are so controlling they're already doing that. They're already keeping their kids. They just haven't told the kids. You're here to stay. <laughs> like, you're mine. I own you. The whole time. <laughs> I own you. So, Merritt, what does the research tell us then about kids, about well, teens? The, most of it, it has to do with kind of law because that's, that's the issue that comes up a lot is should – Teenagers who do bad things be treated as adults and punished that way or punished as a kid because a lot of senses, they don't really know what they're doing. Oh, yeah. Um, We put this question out on Facebook. What did they say? One of my favorite responses was from Brenda, and she said, um, teenagers often mentally block the consequences of actions and pursue them anyway. Hmm. So a lot of times- So they're smart enough to block. Yeah. But you can't think all the way through it. So should they really be punished that way? And a lot of places they are, but there's also a lot of push because if your brain isn't fully formed, how can you be? But I mean at 26, if it's not fully formed till 26, then we need to rethink the whole age of Yeah. And I don't think it's minors. I don't think it's the best plan of action to kind of give everyone a free pass until I shouldn't say no, free pass, definitely but not. but a lot more leniency until they're 26. Mm-mm. But then again, at the same time, we've all done dumb things as teenagers. And if we had our teenage years haunting us for the rest of our life, it's bad enough that I have to remember those years. Yeah. <laughs> but if someone's going to legally write it down and, yeah. and show that to everyone yeah. in the future, I, I'm not entirely cool that with that. That may not be cool. Yeah. Well, especially knowing what you did, Bryce. Absolutely. <laughs> Awkward. Do you want to talk about it? Um, it's been expunged. So... Legally, we, I don't have to. Legally, don't have legally to. it actually didn't happen, <laughs> even though there's a few people that knew about it. Um, what else, Merritt? Yeah, so on Facebook, lots of opinions. I really liked them. One, um, Leanne said that she finds that adults just have the same annoying behaviors, but instead of trying to fix themselves, they just hurry and try to fix their kids. That's true. Yeah. Huh. It's like, we're just as mad. I, I mean, really, we're just grown way, up adults. So I'm going to hurry and try kids. to get my kid not to. Even though they're genetically inclined. See, that's honestly the big thing I'm learning. And I heard this from my father-in-law. All we are as adults are just grown-up teenagers. So the insecurities you have as a teen, you'll have the same thing when you're older. You just just have more power. Definitely. Hmm. Um, Sean said that teenagers are just like they're toddlers. So they have – they're kind of the same toddler phase except – they're, they're older. In they're fact, Stacey agreed with that. She says she thinks teens are like four-year-olds. So it's like, whoa, I've discovered the world and it's great. That's a four-year-old. You know, they're like, they have all these questions yeah. and it's this That's... great time. I love four-year-olds. They're, they are. they're and, fun. And they're, fun they're kind of naturally curious. Yeah. But, but then and they're actually when you're adventurous. a teenager, it's like, whoa, I've discovered the bad part of the world and now I have to deal <laughs> yeah, with everything. There's a whole other side over here. And <laughs> experiment with it. And then the parent gets to deal with that. <sighs> that sounds hard. Yeah. That was who said that one. That was good. Stacy did. Good girl, Stacy. What else? Um, she says that 
they're still they're still figuring it out because they can't as an adult you have more life experience behind that but she says they still can only think short term because they've only lived short term that's true i mean really you got what 16 years under your belt i mean, yeah. I mean what there's there's infant amnesia so they don't remember anything yeah. past like 3 yeah. and so they're 13 so they have about 10 years and they've spent a third of that sleeping <laughs> and so like when you really break it down the, their data the, sets very bad. limited yeah yeah that's actually a huge point yeah. plus add a hormone so then you're in you're like injecting seven times the amount of hormone into these poor little victims yeah hmm seems like a kind of a mess yeah it, it's interesting but at the same time um lots of people on facebook said that we're kind of just underestimating them rebecca said that we underestimate teenagers so much that we just kind of allow them to have the behavior that they do. Because oh, you're like, inter- oh, yeah. well, they won't act like an adult because they're a teenager. Oh, yeah, so they don't know. They can just get away with it. But you've seen t- kids do amazing things. Oh, definitely. And even, you know, back in the day, kids were the parents. You know, teens were the yeah. parents. In fact, even today, teens are the parents. But she's basically just saying or arguing they're a lot more competent than we think. Yeah, definitely. And um, my favorite comment is from Bonnie, and she says, they're not kids. They're not adults. They're as old as they act. So oh, I thought that was Bonnie. pretty great. Well, that's true with us, too. Yeah. I mean, we act like we're real mature. But, I mean, seriously. Do we really, though? If we videoed <laughs> one of our meetings, especially before we took the balls away, we used to have little squishy balls that um, just ended up going everywhere and hurting people. I'm going to bring that 14-foot ladder to work someday so we can get the one that's stuck. Yeah, the one. one. I bet there's more than one. And we're supposed to be the adults. I really just want to bring, like, cookies and Hot Wheels and see what happens. (laughs) No, but you know what? Last time we had a therapist that brought a bunch of toys, and you should have seen the group. Oh, I'm sure. I've never seen them happier. (laughs) Or when we bring food, or as Rob calls it, munchies. When When we bring the munchies and we start eating all the food, you guys light up like a bunch of fourth graders. The marshmallows were pretty great. The marshmallows were huge. Do you think the bosses upstairs know? Do you think they know that we're this juvenile? It's readathon day every day at our meeting. I wonder if I wonder if I wonder if anybody's listening. Do you think Don's listening in his office? I doubt it, because that would be like the babysitter coming in. No, we didn't come in. We're good. We're good. Okay, no parents are here. We're talking teens. How do we uh, how do we parent a teenager? Maybe uh, this could help you with your grandkids, maybe with your children, uh, maybe just with your future children that might be on the way. We're going to give you some great tools, some ideas. Our own Bryce Tobin's going to have some anti-parenting advice. And then an expert, Dr. Carl, Carl Pickard, is going to be coming to join us and give us some good insight into parenting your teenagers. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU. A different way to build spacecraft components also has commercial uses. Hopefully, it won't make you dizzy. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. When building spacecraft components, you could start with a block of metal and carve away all the parts that don't look like your spacecraft part. The problem is, most of your metal is wasted. The second way is to build up a complicated shape out of smaller pieces welded together. This wastes less raw material, but you could end up with points in the welded joints that aren't as strong. There's a third way that NASA and partners at Langley Research Center are using to build a model of a bulkhead for a spacecraft crew module. It's called spin-forming, and it involves a process something like a potter's wheel or lathe. 
spinning the metal and shaping it as it spins. Spin-formed components are all one piece, so they're stronger than built-up pieces. It's a greener way to make components since it doesn't waste as much material as carving from a solid block. The engineers are hoping to show that spin-formed metals can make building aerospace components lighter, stronger, and less expensive, today and in the future. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Get your business in the game and sponsor Cougar Sports on BYU Radio and BYU TV. For more information, call 801-422-1448 or email corporate support at byu.edu. You listen to the news. Now, hear the rest of the story. It's kind of a high-power group to have here. You've got these uh, great academics. Notes from the Kennedy Center on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are doing what we call Teen Fest. I just made that up. We are talking about uh, teens. We're going to give you some great tools, some ideas about, uh, you know, adolescence. How do you handle uh, your children that are that are struggling with just uh, life's traditional challenges of trying to make it through puberty, for example? I know I've worked with a lot of people on this team that are still struggling with that one. So we um, are going to go right to our own Bryce Tobin. Bryce, you have put together a little bit of a, um, a rant slash it's not even a... It's almost an advertisement. Okay. I don't know. It's not You're trying to drum up some ideas for the teens. Well, it's sometimes parents parents think they have it all figured out. And, you know, other times I feel like the teenagers really have it figured out. Look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I'm about to rant. This is The Bryce is Right. Teenagers are the worst. They defy expectations. For example, when you buy a plant from the store, as you take care of it, it gets bigger and better. Nothing goes wrong with plants. As far as I know, the only instance of plants being rebellious happens around Chernobyl. The plants there do weird things like grow downward, as if they're telling the sun that it doesn't really understand them. But those plants have an excuse. They've spent a few decades being blasted by radioactive material, and their cells that sense gravity have gotten all messed up. So then what's the deal with humans? Think about it. When you first get a kid, they need a lot of attention, and there's a lot of stuff they need you to teach them. For the most part, they get bigger and better at this stuff until they're about 12-ish. Then something goes wrong. Suddenly, they abandon everything they've been taught, and things were going so well for a while. So then parents snap back with some extreme forms of parenting. But there's a problem. The kids are smarter now that they're teenagers. And usually they know one very important fact. Parents have everything to lose, while teenagers have just about nothing. They are the upper hand. So I wanted to take this time to catalog some of the more inventive ways that teenagers have circumvented their parents' attempts at parenting. There's my own masterpiece. One day I really ticked my parents off, and I mean really bad. So they decided to ground me from my computer for three months. Which was good logic. The computer was my primary form of entertainment at home. Not only would it be prolonged and inconvenient, they figured the daily reminder of my boredom would reinforce the idea that it isn't worth it to make my parents mad. It's all very solid logic. The first week was kind of rough until one day I got home from school and I was just absolutely tired. So I laid on the couch and took a nap. I woke up a few hours later, took care of some things, and then before I knew what hit me, it was 10.30, so I went back to bed. But before falling into unconsciousness once more, I reflected on the day and realized that today was a pretty good day. And why is that? Oh, it was the nap that I used to circumvent the boredom. 
So then I spent the next three months napping just about every day. My parents had such a good plan that was completely and utterly negated by napping. Or what about the teenage girl who spends too much time in her room with the door closed? Well, this one girl really made her parents mad and they decided, let's remove her door. If she likes her privacy so much, let's get rid of that to teach her a lesson. Well, in protest, this girl moved into the rest of the house. Books everywhere, clothes everywhere, blankets on every surface, music playing all the time. She took her punishment so seriously and she made everyone pay for it. But my all-time favorite was my friend Andrew. He really messed up, and at that time, he was in driver's ed school. So his parents decided to bring down the hammer and not allow him to get his license. Andrew liked cars. It was his dream to finally be freed from the shackles of immaturity and drive his way into the next phase of his life. They had him by the neck. In response, he hatched his own master plan. He dreamed up this convoluted plan to move his life as far as possible from his house. He got a job, because jobs are good for kids, right? Well, it was at the mall that was 20 miles away, and he always took the 6 to 10 shift. Just when his parents got home from work and just before they were getting ready for bed. He also made lots of new friends, and friends are really good for kids, right? Well, these friends also lived very far away, and it would be rude to make their parents come and get Andrew every time. Then he signed up for lots of extracurricular activities. That's really good for kids too, right? Well, he made sure they were the sort that covered the whole school district and often met in a more centralized school that was about 30 miles away. The long and short of it, he drove his parents nuts by making them drive him everywhere. After about six months, they couldn't stand it. He had his license a few weeks later. And then to add insult to injury, he instantly quit his job, stopped going to those extracurricular activities, and made all his friends come over to his house. So it seems that sometimes the more devious teenagers use their punishment to punish their parents. And when that happens, you gotta wonder, who really learned their lesson? Alright, I'm out. And remember, don't forget to be awesome. You're deviant. Uh, devious. And devious. You're a deviant. Have you noticed? Uh, I kind of am. An aberration? No, yeah. You are... You're... I gotta watch you. I will find... It, it's almost like a power play. Is you want to teach me something? No. I will teach you first. Uh, I will. I will teach the lesson. Um, but I don't do that anymore. I think you're right. No, you don't. Now you're mature. Um, I think what it is is we actually think we have control as parents. We think, but what we don't know is these cute little bundles of energy we call teenagers have everything to win. They have the stamina. They know you're weak. They have the time. They have the time. They know exactly how to get you. They got nothing going all day, especially when you ground them. You yeah. give them. You ground me. I nap. Yo, that's like bad. The parents hate you napping in the middle of the day. Come on. You're uh, wasting time. Well, yeah, but what else was I going to do? Crackers. <laughs> Eat crackers on the couch. No, but then I'm eating on the couch and then it gets crackers in the cushions and it's bad. And then that's how you get ants. Good point. See, the funny thing about it is uh, we've got to learn how to do this because these kids need guidance. They need direction. And so if we try to fight them like a kid, they just outthink us. So then what we try to do, it's like the – what was that show? Um, Princess Bride where he's like, I'm not going to drink the poison this way because you thought if I drank the poison, it would kill. So instead I gave you the poison and you were supposed to drink. We're trying all this little trickery. But in reality, we still end up dying with the poison. You still – We can try it all we want. But the reality is they're smart. We're exhausted. We need help. And sometimes they don't thank you. And you're exactly. And you're supposed to have kids. So don't be depressed by this idea. We're still supposed to get out there, have some beautiful kids, and then let's just learn how to be more effective. So we're going to ha- be bringing on a great uh, expert. Dr. Carl Pickard's going to join us after this break. He is going to teach us how 
to work with our children. Okay, he's gonna he's the author of about twenty five books. Most recently, the book "Surviving Your Child's Adolescence: How to Understand and Even Enjoy the Rocky Road to Independence." Oh, I'm so excited to learn it. As a father of six kids, I'm dying to know how to enjoy the rocky road of adolescence. Take a break with us, folks. We're going to be right back. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Where can they find it? They can find it on Twitter at BYU Radio. Scroll through there, you can find it. I love it. Looking for more BYU Radio? Then follow us on Twitter for behind-the-scenes looks into our studio, updates on our shows, exciting announcements, and constant discussion of Cougar sports. Plus, you can connect with our show hosts and guests. Just follow BYU Radio on Twitter and join the conversation. Talk about good. This is Sam McCall for BYU Radio News. In an address at the Lincoln Memorial to honor the 50th anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s iconic I Have a Dream speech, President Obama told a crowd of thousands, because civil rights activists kept marching, America changed. But there's still work to be done for equality to become a reality. After deliberating for just two hours, a military jury has sentenced Major Nadal Hassan to death for killing 13 fellow soldiers and wounding dozens more at Fort Hood, Texas in 2009. Hassan said after the attack he wanted to be a martyr. The massive California wildfire, which has already destroyed 111 buildings, is moving even closer to Yosemite National Park, further limiting firefighters' options. Crews had to close the second to four total access roads into the park, but have brought the blaze to 20 percent containment. The judge overseeing Detroit's bankruptcy filing ruled the city can continue to access an estimated $11 million a month in casino tax revenues while the court reviews a deal with one of the city's many creditors related to the steady cash flow. Washington, D.C. is home to the nation's worst drivers, according to Allstate America's Best Drivers report released yesterday. D.C. drivers are twice as likely to be in a crash than the national average. The safest drivers live in northern Colorado. In world news, as Western powers ready an attack, Syrian civilians are stocking up on bottled water and supplies. Some are simply leaving their homes behind. Meanwhile, United Nations Chief Ban Ki-moon is urging patience while U.N. investigators complete their efforts to discover who and what caused an apparent chemical attack last week, which residents say killed hundreds. Russian police have seized a painting featuring President Vladimir Putin in tight-fitting ladies' undergarments that was on display at a St. Petersburg gallery. Authorities say the work violates laws against so-called gay propaganda. That's the news to half past the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today, we're understanding the teenager. Wow. This is a big show. We're going where no one has gone before. We're going to go deep into the minds of an adolescent. And who better to do it than a wonderful expert, Dr. Carl Picard's joining us. He's an author, a psychologist in private counseling and lecturing practice. 
um, in Austin, Texas. He has received his B.A. and his master's uh, from Harvard, a Ph.D. from the University of Texas. And Carl is also a member of the American uh, and Texas Psychological Association. He's appeared on every television station you can imagine um, and also an author of 25 books, most recently the book Surviving Your Child's Adolescence, How to Understand and Even Enjoy the Rocky Road to Independence. He has a popular blog on psychology today, Surviving Your Child's Adolescence, and you can uh, find more information at com. Dr. Carl Picard, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Well, thank you. It's good to be with you. It's great to be with you. And, you know, teens get a bad rap. Right. Um, That's correct. But you know what? I've got six, uh, not, I have six kids, and let's see, we've had three go through teendom. Right. And it's hard. Well, yeah, you're not. I mean, I, partly, you know, partly there's a, a stereotype that somehow you're going to get this, you know, this wild, rebellious, oh, yeah, no. strange relationship, and that's... From what I've seen, that's really not so. People are not destined to go through agony with their adolescents. No. You're just destined uh, you to know, have it's, them test it's, every it's part of your... process of, you know, of growing apart from childhood to young adulthood. And that's in that it. process, you know, there's going to be some stresses and strains, but not, not anything that's going to blow the relationship Mm-mm. in most cases. That's what I love about it is... Um, there's so many joys, like seeing them progress, seeing them make decisions, finding their talents, and then right. there's there's other moments where you're um, you're trying. It seems like you're trying to motivate a noodle. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like a, it's like the best way I know to think about it. It's like a dance, and you're just trying to dance with this kid. And every you know every teenager you have is going to be a little different. Oh yeah, they're going to be different, and you're just trying to stay engaged and. Uh, with this person while you're growing apart, and it's it's very hard to do. And uh, but uh, there are, you know, it's not like there's going to be constant strain, mm-hmm. tension, and conflict. That's just not so. There are, you know, most of the time, you know, you have somebody you can enjoy being with, and you can talk to, and you can share. And as you say, you know, there's, it's really exciting to see a child move to adulthood, to see a, you know, a boy move to young manhood, a girl move to young womanhood. This is I mean, this is, I, I think it's very, very exciting to, for a parent. Well, and especially if you kind of contrast it to all of the other stages of development and, you know, from these toddler stages to um, to adolescence, it's, a, it's just, it's fascinating what they're doing, how they're doing it. So help educate us a little bit. Adolescence is, I guess, is that what we're calling that teen stage? Well, I think for me, adolescence begins somewhere around 9 to 13 in late elementary school, certainly by middle school, okay. and starts with the separation from childhood, where essentially what the kid says in actions and usually in words is that I no longer want to be defined and treated as a child anymore. Mm. Uh, they, they know they want something different, but they don't exactly know what, so they're at loose ends there for a while. And as a function of that, uh, <clears throat> what happens is they are they become you know more discontent for themselves and for their parents to deal with, um, you know. And then they move into mid adolescence, and that's thir- roughly thirteen to fifteen, and you're forming a family of friends. And then your high school years, late adolescence, and you're you know you're doing more kinds of grown up things. And then finally, the last phase, eighteen to twenty three, is trial independence when you're out there and trying to find your feet in a kind of a slippery world and it's you know it's pretty challenging to do so it's a long process 
Uh, it's uh, sometimes parents think, well, if I can just get them out of high school, I'll get them through adolescence, and that's yeah. not true. <laughs> well, and I love that you distinguish, be- I mean, how much is going on, because getting in the shoes of the adolescent could be very helpful for a parent. They have some major shifting going on, especially in, I guess, this early adolescence. There's some major physical change, psychological changes going uh, on. Yeah, well, it's like, the, the, you know, for the, when, when the separation begins around 9 to 13, you know, there's huge loss for both parent and child. You know, for the, for the adolescent, you know, they cannot go home again. They mm. cannot go back to childhood again. So that secure, familiar attachment is, you know, is no longer within their reach. They have to go forward, and that's scary. Yeah. Uh, and they have to give up a lot. Growing up is giving up, and they're giving up certain kinds of ways of being. Maybe they're giving up some affection that they had with parents. Maybe they're giving up some activities that they like to be involved with. And then you have, you know, then you have the parent, you know, who says, you know, what happened to my adoring and my yeah. adorable little child? Right. Who stole my child? Yeah. Well, don't you remember? I remember as a kid sitting there, you know, I guess in this stage, still loving to do certain games or play with certain toys and realizing, you know, that's not acceptable. Yeah, yeah. And and thinking, oh. I remember, yeah, when you say that, I remember I had a little dresser of drawer where I, I used to, I kept my childhood things for years just to have them there. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, <laughs> totally. And my mom had gotten rid of it. Like, here I was in my 20s, and I said, Mom, you know, yeah. what do you do with my things? And she said, well, you know, it's been a while. Or don't I you don't remember know. clothes, like a sweatshirt you loved? or a, <laughs> And then all of a sudden it doesn't fit anymore, and you've, you've, right. you're done. No more cutesy little garanimals, right. if you remember no, those clothes. Right. And, and you know, all of a sudden you have to, you know, this huge world opens up up in front of you, and it's... It's daunting, and you have to, you know, and then, of course, you're, you know, you, once you hit, you know, early adolescence, 9 to 13, usually puberty starts, so yeah. all of the, your body's changing on you. You don't know how you're going to come out, you know, and that's, that's anxiety-provoking, and all of a sudden, you, you know, the management system that you had to manage yourself in childhood is no longer sufficient for adolescence, so you're more, you know, you're more disorganized, and you're losing things, and you can't keep track of stuff, and you're... Uh, more forgetful, and you know, and your parents are looking at you and saying, "Hey, what's the matter with you? Can't you keep anything straight?" And uh, the honest answer is probably no. Not really. <laughs> and, and but then there's these expectations, huh? I guess from us as parents, we we put this pressure on them, like, "Okay, if you're going to grow up, you've got the body for the grown up. Now start acting like it." And we're, well, and, that's that's right. And all of a sudden, I mean, it's, and it gets even more complicated than that because we we're, we're we're a hurry up society. Mm. So, you know, we, we get our children, man, and the compliment parents want with their child is, gee, how grown up you are. Yeah. You know, so we want to speed up the childhood growth thing. So we get this kid being reinforced for acting grown up very early, and then they hit adolescence, and parents say, hey, wait a minute, slow down. Mm-hmm. You're going too fast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now the kid has a head of steam, you know, and they're not going to grow back. They're just going to go forward. And there are a whole bunch of, I don't know, they've got a whole bunch of parental attitude adjustments that I think they have to make when the kid enters the shoot. I mean, they definitely, they, you know, they need to know that, you know, you do not take your child's adolescence personally. It is not about you. It's about the kid. <laughs> right. Uh, and you don't treat adolescence as some kind of a, I don't know, punishable offense, you know, it's a process of growth. So, 
Uh, you know, you don't ground the kid for being adolescent. You know, and you try to understand that you know the old magic that you had in the relationship. Adolescence wears that out. You don't, you know. But that's you need that. I mean, if 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 the if the parent and the adolescent ended up adolescence as as attached as they were in childhood, they'd never separate. Oh yeah. And, Boy. and of course, finally, you know, they have to accept that teenagers are naturally offensive, and that's not a uh, insult. That's a that's just says that the part of their job is to push for all the freedom they can get as soon as they can get it, you know. And part of the parent's job is to restrain that push within the interest of safety and responsibility. And that's the, you know, and that's the tension that unfolds over all those years. So we're doing our job if we're providing safety and and trying to teach responsibility. Uh, as a parent, that tension's healthy. I guess when do we? What is crossing the line? As a parent, is I guess when we are trying to just keep them from growing up. Well, there's a the parenting. The parenting essentially changes when adolescence begins. Not it's not a complete change, but it's a significant change. And in, in childhood, what you're doing is you are essentially doing what I think of as attachment parenting. And, you know, and what you're trying to do then is you're just trying to, you know, create a secure dependence for this kid. Mm-hmm. So you have parents who are holding on a lot to get that to happen. But what happens when adolescence begins, that's, that's the beginning of detachment parenting. That's a whole different thing. There the goal is you're trying to teach the kid independence so they can, you know, have trust and rely on themselves. And now parents have to let go. And letting go is much more hard than holding on. Oh, yeah. That's why you can get some parents who are really good at attachment parenting, and they have a really good, you know, they have a really well-secured kid, and then when the kid starts pulling away, the parent has a really difficult time letting go because they're afraid, you know, all of a sudden if I put my, <laughs> put my kid at the risk of their own decision-making and back off and let them deal with some consequences, they're going to get hurt. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and, and you, and then all of a sudden you see the impact of that and the impact on relationships and on marriages where parents can't let go and still are trying to run the show. Yeah. Well, it's hard. It's a very hard mix. I mean, I mean, that, that's, I think, really the dilemma that all parents face uh, when their kids in adolescence is how much to hold on and how much to let go and when to do one and when to do the other. I mean, definitely. If you see your kid engaging in self-destructive or self-defeating behavior, and they're a teenager, you do not let that go. Right. It says you've got to be in there, you know, to help them take care of themselves and learn to manage themselves in a constructive way. However, the other side of that is if you see them, you know, and they made a bum decision, uh, and the consequences are, you know, are not going to do away with them. You know, it's going to maybe hard, but it won't be, you know, won't be otherwise hurtful. You say, well, you know, that's how you learn responsibility. You make choices and you deal with consequences. Mm. Uh, and so there you, you know, there you do detach some and you let the kid deal with the consequences of their choices. We are talking with Dr. Carl Picard, um, author of a wonderful book, Surviving Your Child's Adolescence, How to Understand and Even Enjoy the Rocky Road to Independence. Uh, He's enlightening us. He's giving the tools we need to get these children to fly and to fly in a healthy way, yet still maybe even know where their nests are so they can return and visit once in a while. We're trying to give you a leg up on this crazy thing we call parenting. We're going to be back with Dr. Picard. He's going to give us some more tools about uh, 
helping our children as they go through adolescence kind of progress through those stages. We're going to take a break. You're listening to the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. We'll take a hard look at the science of soft robotics with an organic approach to bot building. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. When you think of robots, you're likely thinking of something made of shiny metals and hard plastic, driven by servo motors, gears, and the like. But roboticists working on advanced concepts think that's a cliche that might be replaced by the science of soft robotics. Soft Robotics tries to follow a more organic approach to design, taking cues from how nature has shaped systems for moving around and handling objects. Instead of motors and gears, soft, flexible robotic appendages are commonly driven by air pressure or hydraulics, or even shape metals that work more like muscles than motors. Why is this important? Well, when robots have to work alongside people, it's safer and sometimes more efficient to use soft appendages that work and respond more like human limbs. A soft robot hand in development can grip a fragile object like an egg by conforming around it using just one power source as opposed to clamping it with metal fingers all driven by motors. So future robots may look less like little tanks and more like crabs as soft robotics continues to advance. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. On Talkworthy, host Kim Power Stilson chats with experts about topics of interest. And it seems like everyone learns something new. Yeah, and I think that was interesting, too, because there are some, there were some courses in Scotland when I visited that did not allow women golfers, but not no longer. Really? Yeah. See, I came down to the show to learn more about it than you did. <laughs> Talkworthy airs weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern here on BYU Radio. Talk about good. Lay it on the line. Fourth and goal from the half-yard line. All out. Southwick sneaks. Did not get in. Did not get in. They stop him. Did not score. All season. Did not score. Touchdown, Cody Hopper. Spencer Hadley takes him down. Season's got a gap. He's gone. KVN does it again. BYU football returns Saturday, August 31st at Virginia. Kickoff at 1.30 with pregame coverage beginning at 11.30 right here on your home for Cougar football. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about your teenagers. As they progress through the different stages of adolescence, isn't it fun? You know, for a lot of us, it just seems like, what is going on with these people? It's like something's crawled inside of them like an alien, and we don't understand it. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, it's easy to just throw it into the, ah, they're just kids. But really, there's a lot going on in your teens' minds in, um, from basically ad- early adolescence, nine on. There's some serious challenge going on. And interesting, too, trial, trial, I mean, adolescence doesn't necessarily just end in the teens. We've kind of just categorized this as a teen thing. But uh, we're talking with Dr. Carl Picard, uh, who's an author and psychologist in private counseling uh, practice in Austin, Texas. He's received his bachelor's, his master's from Harvard. He also uh, has a Ph.D. from the University of Texas. He's a member of the American and the Texas Psychological Association. 
He also is um, the author of more than 25 books, and the one we're kind of focusing on today is Surviving Your Child's Adolescence, How to Understand and Even Enjoy the Rocky Road to Independence. You can get that book if you go to his website, www.carlpicart.com, H-A-R-D-T. Dot com. Uh, so, Dr. Picard, thank you for joining us again. Oh, yeah. It's good to be with you, man. Now, if, if, talk to me about this, because as I just even look at my own kids, um, I have expectations, and, and this is this evolution that, that we have as we go through, as our children are kind of growing up and evolving, but their communication and their communication abilities evolve as well, right? Well, that's right, and but part of that evolution has to do with how the primary teachers instruct them and how mm. to do that. And those, those people are the parents. So parents have to model the kind of communication they want their kid to learn because this kid is just an adult in training. Right. And so now is later. So, for example, when you get the, you know, one of the salient parts of, of adolescence is that you tend to get more disagreement and conflict as the kid pushes for more freedom for self-determination. Now, how, how that, you know, how you learn, how you teach the management of conflict is hugely oh. formative. I and mean, and it goes, it's going to be handed, it's going to take, they'll take it to their marriage, they'll take it to their kids, your grandkids right. will learn the same thing if we're not careful. Yeah, that's right. So that's why, I mean, that's why you really want to, I mean, above anything else, anytime you have the, you know, you get into any kind of a disagreement or conflict with your adolescent, you know, your first response is not to stop them from arguing or stop them from disagreeing with you, but to open the door for communication, because that's what conflict is. Right, exactly. And what you say is, you know, can you tell me more about what you were thinking and feeling? Can you help me better understand? You want to be able to give that full, fair hearing, partly because you want the communication, but the other part of it is that kids tend to be get along easier around points of disagreement with their parents if, in fact, they have been able to say whatever it was they were feeling or thinking. Uh-huh. Even though they may not like your decision, they will accept it because they have been heard. Versus me just kind of coming down on them saying, that's just the way it is, I'm the father, right, do yeah. what I say. Yeah, pulling rank... <laughs> You know, I mean, there are times when you have to pull rank. Yeah, but... You can pull rank, you know, you can... You know, what you're basically saying is, look to your kid, is, look, I will be, you know, I will be flexible where I can, mm-hmm. but I will be firm where I have to. And I know, and but that just because I'm being firm where I have to doesn't mean that I will not hear what you have to say. Right. So when the kid says, well... You're not listening to me, and you say, well, how do you know I'm not listening to you? And the kid says, well, because you're not agreeing with me and because you're not doing what I say. And the parent says, no, wait a minute, that has nothing to do with listening. <laughs> listening right. has to do with registering what you're saying, and I do hear what you're saying. But I'm, you know, I'm still not going to let you, at the age of 14, you know, go to that high school party. Yeah, at but midnight, I hear what yeah. You want. Yeah. And I can even understand it. I can see how a party would be great, and it's not going to happen. Right. That's right. Yeah. But you. But you. But but you. You know what you're doing. What you're saying is, look, I understand. I am in the part of the unpopularity of my position <laughs> as a parent during the adolescent years is frustrating. 
you know, a lot of the things that you would like to have happen and imposing some things you probably would not like to have happen. But that's, but that's only part of what I do. I'm also there to support you and encourage you and to mm-hmm. love you and to value you and to cheer you on. And I mean, to pay for your insurance. That's a large right. picture here. Yeah. It's like, um, and maybe this is really important. I know you talk about five psychological engines. Right. Um, so, so these are. It seems like kind of the. These are the intersections where we might tend to run into problems psychologically. Right. These are all. Each of these engines generates their own kind of conflict, mm. uh, and and and. But you need all these engines to get this growth to happen. I mean, you've got to get adequate separation, so the kid can get more independence, and so what you get there is you get more social distance from parents, and you can get some conflicts about that where. You know, the parent says, you know, all you want to do is spend time with your friends, and you don't want to spend any more time with us. Yeah. Or, you know, or you get, you get differentiation, which is that's for the sake of individuality, where the, the task is to create a unique and fitting identity. So now what you have is, you know, you have the kid, you know, <clears throat> developing some interests and tastes that are not to the taste of the parents. And the parent says, how can you call that noise music? <laughs> that's rock and roll. That's right. <laughs> yeah, right. That was and, Elvis. So Elvis led the differentiation movement. Pardon? It was Elvis that started the differentiation movement. Then, yeah, for so many people, I, almost every generation. I mean, yeah, every generation's I mean, got one. Music and, and music is, you know, is probably one of the great differentiations in the generations. Mm. Almost every generation has their own music that they identify with, and to some degree, is contrasted with the generation of their parents. Yeah, no, exactly. It's almost like you, the the their intent is to contrast yours. Well, partly that's right because a lot of because really popular music that the, the uh, I mean you're in broadcasting you know it better than I but I mean it it depends on you know you've got to have that that fan base right to support that and that fan base is a youth base mm. you know and that's the big audience yeah you know, that, that people are appealing to and it's also where your artists are coming out of as well well it's yeah it is it's also that you know they kind of push the political edge they kind of. They're rebelling against, you know, the man and the adult. I mean, it's it's really kind of a movement, isn't it? Well, I think, yeah. I mean, in that sense, I think it's a adolescence is, you know, it's a countercultural movement, and that's the counterculture that, in fact, differentiates the generations. Mm. And so the kid is saying, you know, I am different from I was as a child. I am different from you, my parents, and I'm going to be different from how you want me to be. So that's the differentiation that they're trying to perform. And then you also talked about the separation, which is where they actually need to have social distance, their own friends, their own kind of social identity that they're trying Absolutely. to create. Absolutely. They've got to be able to establish an independent, competing family of friends. Mm. Yeah, but, but the parents need to understand that 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 does not mean that the biological family does not matter. Right. Because the kid wants to spend time with friends. I mean, the parent needs to understand that friends are, you know, most of these friends are going to be of passing value, important, but passing mm-hmm. value. Yeah, Family's and they'll, they'll keep coming back to you, value. right. But uh, you as a parent could support it. You could enable it. You can also know these friends and create yeah. space for that to happen. Well, absolutely. I think one of the most powerful things you can do is you can actually be, you know, you can, you know, you can welcome, you know, your kids' friends into your home. Mm-hmm. You can get to know those kids. The, si- the situations that I see where parents get really tense 
uh, with their kids' friends, ironically, are the friends that they don't want to have anything to do with. They don't want to know them. Right. Which I think generally is a mistake because what they do is they create strangers that are scary to them. Uh-huh. Now, it's better off saying, you know, bring them over to the home, you know, or, you know, and assuming they'll abide by house rules, I'd like to get to know them. Right. I mean, it's, you better have... You, the, Keep the enemy close. Yeah, well, yeah, and, and also understand that they're not necessarily enemies. No. A lot of times is. You know, the, particularly because you, uh, in addition to music, dress is a big differentiator. Oh, sure, huh? And so you'll get, you know, I don't know, you'll get a kid, a friend of your kid walks in the house, and the kid is dressed all in black and yeah. chains and one thing and another, and you think, oh, my gosh, you know, it's drug central. What's happening now? <laughs> you know, and then you get to know this kid. Yeah. And this kid turns out to be a really sweet kid. They just happen to be dressed this way. Well, they're just differentiating. <laughs> statement that they want to make. Right. Uh, and so if you can get beyond the appearance and you can get the person-to-person interaction, uh, you know, and then you can do, you know, you can find that you will, you can develop an adult relationship with your kids' friends that those kids value. Right. Because you're not their parent, but you are a salient adult who likes them, who will listen to them, who enjoys having them around, and that's a big deal. And, and you and you still have power to influence your that's, your child through their friends. It's powerful. Back. Yeah, because that's and that's what happens when, in fact, you get the parents who say you can't bring those kids home with you. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can't associate with them. And what parents do at that point, they have just disenfranchised themselves from any positive influence with those kids. Right. No. Right. Yeah. Isn't that just, I mean, that's probably the crux of what you end up working with is, are these families where, you know, somebody pushed too hard. And when you push, so if I, if I force them to not bring them home, the child's going to take that friend. I mean, I call it, they're going to just go into the dark. They're going to just take it underground and well, they're going to have to be yeah, hiding I, it from you. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, it, it, what you don't, to make your kids friends a point of active opposition between you and your teenager is generally not a good idea. Yeah. I mean, you can say, I mean, what you can say is, look, I respect your right to choose your friends, but I want you to respect my responsibility about working with you about what you do with those friends. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that's a difference. That doesn't say that you're friends. Because your friends are doing that which I do not agree with does not mean they're bad people, Mm-mm. bad friends. It simply says that those are activities that at least at this point in your life, I don't want you participating in. It's uh, honest. I totally agree. I had one of my children's, uh, my kid, my younger, my 16-year-old hangs out with my older kid's friends. And one of them was getting married. And comes over, knocks at the door, and everyone thought that they were there for my other kids. And he says, no, can Mr. Townsend come talk to me for a minute? And he asked me out, and I got to go out, and we sat on the the front yard and just talked about his upcoming relationship because he didn't have anyone to talk to. Well, that's a great compliment to you. But it, And honestly, it gave me more influence. With My, my kids thought I was the bomb because they're friends like me. We're talking with Dr. Carl Picard. He's joined us, uh, trying to educate us on being better parents with our teens and adolescents. We're going to take a break. Come right back. This is Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. 
Join us on Through the Garage Door for our look into rock and roll. It's, that's the way music should be made. That's cool. I tend to agree that I, I, I like that rock Wait, wait, sound. you agreed with Mark Waite? I did. <laughs> it's uh, rare. Through the Garage Door on BYU Radio. KBYU FM, HD2 Provo. This is Sam McCall for BYU Radio News. America is struggling to fully realize Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s vision, according to President Obama's address to commemorate the 50th anniversary of King's I Have a Dream speech. The president says economic justice is one of the remaining unfinished battles of the civil rights movement. After deliberating for just two hours, a military jury has sentenced Major Nadal Hassan to death for killing 13 fellow soldiers and wounding dozens more at Fort Hood, Texas in 2009. Hassan said after the attack he wanted to be a martyr. 3,700 firefighters are still working to control the massive California blaze, which is now burning farther into Yosemite National Park. A second main access road to the park has been shut down, but crews have brought the blaze to 20 percent contained. The judge overseeing Detroit's bankruptcy filing ruled the city can continue to access an estimated $11 million a month in casino tax revenues, while the court reviews a deal with one of the city's many creditors related to the steady cash flow. Washington, D.C. is home to some of the nation's worst drivers, according to Allstate America's Best Drivers Report released yesterday. D.C. drivers are twice as likely to be in a crash than the national average. In world news, as Western powers ready an attack, Syrian civilians are stocking up on bottled water and supplies, and some are simply leaving their homes behind. Meanwhile, United Nations Chief Ban Ki-moon is urging patience while U.N. investigators complete their efforts to discover who and what caused an apparent chemical attack last week, which residents say killed hundreds. Russian police have seized a painting featuring President Vladimir Putin in a tight-fitting ladies' slip that was on display at a St. Petersburg gallery. Authorities say the work violates laws against so-called gay propaganda. That's the news to the top of the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend. Today, we're taking on your teenagers, giving you a leg up in how to parent the teen, how to understand your adolescence, what they're going through. They're not just there to just make your life miserable. Hello. It just sometimes feels like that. They're going through their own battle, trying to overcome a bunch of stuff from their chemistry of puberty to just trying to kind of uh, grow their own psychological um, strength. And uh, we've, bought, we've brought on a wonderful expert. Dr. Carl Picard has joined us. He's an author and a psychologist. He works out of Austin, Texas. He uh, has a Ph.D. from the University of Texas. He's also a member of the American and the Texas Psychological Association. He's been on all the news networks. Uh, he's really um, spent a lot of time, I guess, timed in a magazine cover story that that uh, he did a lot of work on called The Only Child Myth. 
and he's the author of 25 books, most recently Surviving Your Child's Adolescence, How to Understand and Even Enjoy the Rocky Road to Independence. You really should go check out his website. Just It's, it's under his name, carlpicart.com, P-I-C-K-H-A-R-D-T.com. And there you can get his books. You can go to uh, and, under, and check out some of... Um, just some really cool stuff that he's he's offering, articles that he's put together, book reviews, and stuff like that. It's a wonderful resource. So, uh, Dr. Picard, thank you so much for joining us again. Oh, yeah. It's fun being with you, man. It really is. Uh, the, the teens, you know, we love them. We have all remember it. It was, such kind, it was an awkward time for so many of us, um, just as we're kind of breaking through, you know, the psychologically, I guess, is what we were trying to do. You were talking about five psychological engines, that just things that kind of drivers, right. that drive the, the children's growth. And uh, you talked about separation, their need to socially distance, to be independent and have their own set of friends that, you know, are kind of different than the family. Right. Also the point of differentiation, being unique, being different. Um having kind of their own view, their own music, their own dress. What are some more of those uh, drivers that the the adolescents are pushing through? Well, another one, of course, is opposition, and that's for the sake of autonomy and the desire to operate more on their own terms, and that's where where you get that challenge to authority. Mm. And uh, that challenge needs to happen. Sometimes parents will say, well, my kid argues with me, so that means they don't respect my authority. When I say to them, no, no, yeah. if your kid argues with you, that in fact is evidence that they respect your authority. If they totally ignored what you said, <laughs> would not engage with you, and did whatever they wanted, that might be not respect. Uh, a lot of times parents, you know, that's I don't fascinating. Know that argument that sets some parents off, they think, you know, that is something that should not happen. And what I try to tell parents is this, that is not true. I mean, every time your kid argues with you, number one is, they're engaging with you. Number two is they are disclosing information about themselves, and they're the prime informant about themselves that you have to to rely on. And if you think you've got a problem having a kid who argues with you, I'll tell you what a real problem is. A real problem is the kid who won't talk to you. That's right. Walks to his room, builds a bomb. Exactly. No, that's it, huh? If, I mean, and, and it's interesting. You make a great point because we're always like, yeah, my, my kids won't talk to me anymore. My teenagers won't talk to me. But when they are talking, even when they're arguing, I love the point you're saying that they're, they're, they're bringing up information. They're giving you data. Ab, that's, ex- that's exactly the point. They are sharing data about themselves. Exactly. So you've got to listen. Otherwise, and the, you, sometimes what we do is we react to their data instead of just like allowing it to influence us c- and, and get a better view of them. Right. I mean, that's what, I mean, it seems to me, I mean, you, we don't once, you know, once the kid enters adolescence, what happens is they start pulling away and all of a sudden, you know, our capacity to influence them depends upon knowing what the heck's going on. If right. we have a, you know, if we've shut down the communication because we've said, you know, don't you talk back to me, don't you argue with me, don't you disagree with me, you know, again, it's like disenfranchising yourself around social influence with a one of your kids' peers. You've just cut yourself right. off. Oh, yeah. influence with your kid it doesn't make any sense. Well, and it seems like sometimes we're trying to parent them out of fear. I think that's a that's a very important point. And Absolutely. The, the fear seems to actually just aggravate each one of these engines you're talking about. Yeah, I think the uh, generally parenting out of fear does not work well because 
you know, then what that is is that does is that, you know, it creates really unrealistic worries. There, I mean, there is such a thing as realistic sure. worry, but there's also unrealistic worry. Functional worry, you know, what you do is with a kid who is embedded in now, you know, we want the kid to think ahead. So we say before you, you know, I'm going to, before I let you go to the mall, you know, we're going to talk about some poss- possible things that might happen. Oh, Dad, <laughs> nothing's going to yeah. happen. Yeah. Before we go, I want to know, for example, what what would you do if you got separated with your friends? What's your plan? I'm not gonna, I'm not saying it's going to happen, yeah. but if it did happen, what kind of a plan? And that's 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 productive worry. You're helping the kids think ahead. Right. That is different from where essentially you, what you get is you get a parent who who ends up dooming the future. So the kid flunks a class, and the parent thinks, well, if they flunk the class, they're going to flunk. You know, uh, other classes, you know, they're not going to graduate. You know, they're going to end up on the street. They're not going to be able to make a living, and they're yeah. going to be homeless. You know, that kind of chain worrying doesn't do any good. So you've got to keep your worries close at hand, very specific, hopefully productive, where you can use your worries for instructional purposes with your kid to help them learn how to think ahead. What? Oh, see, that is, to me, that is... The minute your child is actually going down that same litany saying, well, now I failed and now I won't go to college and I'll probably be a bum. And once they're kind of repeating you, you've been pushing too long. You've well, been pushing right. out of fear too what long. What happens is all of a sudden you – I mean that's – a lot of times parents don't understand what you just described. And that is that how we talk to our teenager about them is essentially a mirror yeah. In which they see themselves. Yeah. And if we say, you know, you have just blown your life, you know, it's too bad, you know, this is irrecoverable, and, you know, now you're on the downhill slide, that's what the kid's going to think. Well, and that can that's be so bad. easy. That could just be the simple question like, oh, so did you fail another test? Did you fail your test today? Did you pass your test? Like, I mean, it's just kind of the, the, the nagging of, are you still not cutting it? <laughs> Well, yeah, mom. I mean, it's, it's one thing to say. I mean, certainly you say, you know, part of my responsibility is to stay informed about yeah. how you're doing at school for yourself in case I can be of some help to you. So there's that. But the other part of it is sometimes you'll get, uh, I see it with particularly adolescent girls with, with their dads. And the dad is, you know, he's a performance guy and that's what he knows and he's not much of a, too much of a relational guy. So all he really thinks about is his daughter is in terms of how she's doing at school. Mm, yeah. He says, how did you do in school today? And finally, you know, this 16-year-old just lets him have it. She says, you know, Dad, you know, a student is not all I am. Grades are not how I, all, you know, all I do. Right. You know, and, you know, and she's, when she's saying to him, you know, you know, there's this whole person here, and all you're concerned about is my grades. What about the rest of me? Yeah. Well, and meanwhile, half the time we're also saying, oh, you're so beautiful. You're well, just so yeah, gorgeous. That's, that's, I just love how cute you are. Cute as a bug in you know, a rug. Yeah, that's a, that's a good statement. Too. Isn't that interesting? That's it's like we are. don't know what to do, so we just kind of stick to our favorites. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go with her looks right. this that's week, and next week I'll talk right. about schoolwork. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's part of, what, part of what you have to be able to do is you have to be able to keep expanding. Yeah you know, your vision and your way of relating to your kids. So you want to, 
as much as possible, you want to relate to your child, your adolescent as a whole person. Yeah. Because you want them to do that. If you just, I mean, that's like if you, I get a kid to come in sometimes, and the kid, an adolescent kid says, well, I'm nothing but a problem. And, how do you, and I say, well, how do you know that? Because <laughs> that's what my parents told me. I'm nothing but a problem. Mm. And, you know, so we get the parents in, and I say, look, you know, a problem is a small part of a very, very large person. Right. Your job is to keep that vision of the large person so that your kid can, in fact, actualize other parts of themselves outside of the problem area. Yeah, all the other good that they could be using to even deal with that little anomaly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Love that's that. Right. Yeah. T- talk about for a minute um, and the role that uh, kind of psychologically that maybe the father can play with his children. I know there's an enormous role that fathers play with their daughters and um, – and maybe the roles that mothers play with their sons or, or vice versa. I mean, what do you see as a psychologist are some specific things we should be making sure we do with our boys if there well, are I things we, and our girls? Yeah, I think the big the, the, the big differentiator I tend to see with moms and dads with adolescents is around very often communication. And that's because a lot of times women are more relationally trained and men are more performance trained. Right. By that I mean that women come up and, you know, and they've been socialized with same-sex peers and yeah. they've confided and communicated. And then you get the, the the father and he's come up in this kind of, you know, kind of competitive Yeah, the sports world where it was all report based. function, yeah. And so then what happens is when this thing called conflict arises, where the mom will treat conflict simply as a communication issue, mm-hmm. the dad will treat it as a contest. Oh, interesting. Who is going to prevail? It all of a sudden it becomes a performance issue. Yeah, yeah. And so either he shuts it down or he has to win it. Uh, and that is just a shame because, you know, what he needs to do is he really he needs to be able to kind of deal with conflict with his kids very often the way his wife does. Yeah. Is being able to deal with it as a relational communication issue and to just say, you know, I want to use conflict as an opportunity to learn more about you and about me and our relationship and how we can move forward. It's almost like you're saying uh, con- or conflict in adolescence is the door. It's the door it's to the door child. It's the door to the understanding. Well, if you think of, if think of intimacy in relationships, yeah. you know, there's two ways to get it. The easy way is similarity. Right. Two people can share what they have in common. But that's only half of intimacy. Right. The other half is how you manage human differences, and that's where conflict comes in. So if I get a, you know, sometimes I get a couple who come in and say, you know, we've got a great relationship. You know, we never disagree, we never fight. And when I say to them, well, I'm sorry to hear that. It sounds like you've only got half a relationship <laughs> because you've just been dodging around individual differences all these years. That's right. Uh, so that you, I mean, just because you you can deal, you can have conflict without doing anybody damage. As a matter of fact, you can even have conflict without creating any emotional discomfort. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of times if people say, Carl, we can't have conflict because that means we'll fight. That's well, right. Well, then they have this combat vision of, of uh, you know, of conflict, and that's not. And that's that, again, goes back to your earlier question, which is that a lot of times dads tend to have a combat vision. Mm-hmm. Of conflict, where moms very often have a communication vision of conflict. Oh, it's the funniest thing. So my first child's a daughter. 
The other five are boys, and my oh. wife had it so good with the daughter because they she'd come home from every date and they'd talk about it for years. <laughs> and my boys come in, and my da- my wife has no data. They don't right. give much data, oh. and we're like, come on, boys, come on, come on. And then it's interesting, um, that was the next two boys. And then the lowest three boys, the youngest three boys, uh, we can't shut them up. They're just loving to share now, and they're so into it. And so my wife's so excited. It's happening again. My family's talking. If well, it is, every kid's a little different, aren't they? I mean, what you want is, I mean, it's, it's, not, that, it's not an either-or thing. Right. You want to be able to help the kids develop their relational side and their performance side. Mm-hmm. Both those sides are of value. It's just that sometimes dads, I think more than moms, tend to get locked in yeah. their performance side, and all of a sudden they just, you know, they, I mean, the dad says, "I don't know how to talk to my daughter." Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, you're talking to me, and why don't you talk to your daughter the way you're talking to right. me? Right? Yeah, mean, that's so true. Start. So powerful. Um, we have just a few more minutes, but I'd love to hear kind of your thumbnail. Um, review of discipline. So as a, as a parent needing to discipline an adolescent who's going through these changes and is trying to find themselves as they kind of deal so with these drivers, what, what, what are the rules? Yeah, once you move from childhood to adolescence, you move from attachment parenting to detachment parenting. And the discipline when you are with children is you're using very often approval and correction. Mm you're trying to teach them what is responsible behavior and that's very important how to responsibly manage themselves right but once the kid moves into adolescence now they're you know then they're disengaging then they're detaching and now you are more into essentially the discipline you're dealing with now is choice and consequence and what you're saying to the adolescent is you know if if the adolescent says well you can't make me and you can't stop me parent says the adolescent you're absolutely right all that's in your control but what my job is is to help you look at the choices you're making and should you make choices that get you in difficult consequences is to help you learn responsibility from that connection Mm. because responsibility is that which you know that's what your safety Right. It's going to depend upon, and that's what your, you know, really your capacity to move through life is largely going to depend upon. So you're, you are, you're going to allow them their choice, and yeah, you're and going to, you're going to, well, you can't. Yeah, you, you take it no away. Power to disallow. Right. Yeah. And I'm sorry. You know, I am you, taking your choice. You move in childhood. That's the age of command, where the child believes the illusion that you and I, as parents, can make them or stop them. Mm-hmm. The adolescent is no longer under that illusion. Oh, they I hate that part. They are now in the age of consent. Yeah. They know you can't make me and you can't stop me. Right. And the problem is, you know, parents can say, well, boy, then that, that must feel really great to them. And what I say to them, no, it does not feel great. No, it's game on now. now. They have, have to play. They have more freedom than they know what to do with. Yeah. You know, that's why, particularly in mid-adolescence, say 13 to 15, you want to give, the, you want to give your kid the power of, of your prohibitions. You want to say, you do not have my blessing to do X, Y, and Z. And the reason you want to give your kid the, the protection of your prohibitions is sometimes they're going to be in the company of their friends wanting to, the friends wanting to do something, and that kid can say, you know, I would really like to do that, but if I do that, my parents will ground me forever. Mm. Yeah. You know, and what they're doing is they're essentially they're activating that prohibition. They can't say no on their own behalf. Yeah, but they can in fact invoke 
what the parent says. You know, and and you know, I've, I had a dad, you know, a while back say say to the kid, you know, if you ever get in a tight space with your friends, please feel free to lie about what I will mm. do or not yeah. do if, in fact, you do whatever that thing is they want you to do. Oh, that is cool. Yeah, it is cool. That's cool parenting. Dr. Carl Picard, thank you so much for joining us. Seriously, great stuff. And they, they, people, go to his website, carlpicard.com, and go check out his book, Surviving Your Child's Adolescence, How to Understand and Even Enjoy the Rocky Road to Independence. So appreciate it, Dr. Picard. Uh, good stuff. It, really good stuff. And parents, don't give up on those adolescents. You know, we're there. We're there to, to help them grow, to help them know themselves and uh, make it through these stages. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. It's the ultimate fixer-upper. Kennedy Space Center's Vehicle Assembly Building gets a 21st century makeover. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. You can't run out of superlatives when you talk about the VAB, the world's largest one-story building. To this day, it's so huge it has its own weather. Finished in 1966, it was the garage where the Apollo Saturn V moon rockets were assembled and later the space shuttles. Now that the space shuttles are retired, the agency finally has the break needed to renovate the VAB and get it ready for a new generation of space vehicles. The corroded water pipes are coming out as well as over 50 miles of thick copper cables to be replaced by pencil-thin fiber optic cables and modern data communications. Massive cranes capable of raising hundreds of tons will be refurbished, and access platforms custom-built for the Saturn Vs will be replaced by platforms that can adapt their shapes and locations to fit any and all new rocket designs that will be assembled in the future. After the refurbishing, the VAB will be ready to support another 40 years of pioneering space missions. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. The Appleseed, Tellers and Stories with host Sam Payne will premiere September 2nd at 2 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio. Are there any shows you missed, want to listen to again, or share with a friend? Then check out our BYU Radio YouTube channel for episodes of all your favorite shows. And don't forget to subscribe. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're wrapping up this uh, teenager edition. How do we talk to our teens? How do we instruct and educate? How are we there as they're going through this separation? It's such an interesting discussion we just had with Dr. Picard about these different stages of um, of kind of parenting, the, the need for detachment. You know, so much of our parenting, when there's such cute little bugs in a rug, we're, it's all about attachment. We want to keep them close, keep them knowing that they're safe, secure. Eventually, though, they have to break away and, and they have to detach. So um, interesting stuff. We are now going to go to our In the News segment. Colonel Rob Sanders is joining us. What would well, you learn, Rob? The, well, the big question, too, is we're, the question we asked at the top of the show, are kids 
kids or are they adults? Yeah. And how does that reflect in the news? And teenagers in the news. And there are no shortage of the kinds of stories you'd expect. An 18-year-old who painted the word pigs on the side of a police car. Yep, that's teenage-level graffiti target. He probably would have gotten away with it. His local police department posted a mugshot on their Facebook page, which he clicked like and then clicked share. And you know the rest of the story. And there's no shortage of less sophisticated stories, too. Teens falling out of trees and getting hurt. A town's Miss Beauty Queen and her friends making little prank bombs and putting them in mailboxes. But like always, we find teens a little complicated to try to pin down. Is it ambition or just stupidity with a Nigerian teen grabbed onto a landing gear as the plane took off at his airport and he hung on to it for a 35-minute flight and survived? Or the teen that slept out in the open and a wolf tried to eat his head off in the middle of the night, but he was able to physically pry the wolf's jaws back open and kick at it till the wolf ran away. Sometimes teenagers can be awesome. The average British person passes their law bar exam at age 27. A teenage girl from Florida who's only 18 is now the youngest person to do just that. Here's a headline I don't even need to finish for you to write the rest of the story. Two teens injured in accident involving car. Yeah, there's no good punk teenagers driving around on two wheels with their music all blared up. Kids shouldn't be allowed to drive until the 21. Well, actually, in this case, the 14-year-olds were on their bikes. It was the 82-year-old man who'd been driving for his whole life that hit them. And a survey shows 6 in 10 teenagers have deleted an app off their phone because they're concerned about privacy issues. Speaking as a fairly tech-savvy adult, I'm not even sure how you find out what privacy issues exist in an app. And I've certainly never deleted one because of it. And to really send we adults to the mirror to ask ourselves who are the stupid ones, how about this 17-year-old actress who traded 300 stocks last year, earned a 30% gain on her money, clobbering the S&P 500's average. How many adults can say they've done that? And that's a look at the complicated world of teenagers in the news. Teenagers in the news, uh, they're pretty smart. Sometimes. I mean, we always give them a bad rap like they're just clueless, but... Well, but sometimes they are. Oh, yeah. Well, so clicking we like on a Facebook photo of the crime you committed on the Facebook fan page of the police department <laughs> is pretty stupid. Beating out the S&P 500. Huge. Yeah. Win. Same age. Well, if you think about it, that just is, sounds like a bunch of adults. You're saying adults uh, can sometimes be smart or stupid mm -hmm. at the same time? Yeah. But see, we don't have an excuse. We're, We're not teenagers. Be, We're expected to be smart. Mm -hmm. See how easy this is? Okay, Rob, you ready to have kids? Mm, let's take it one step at a time. Like does, this, does the idea of having a, a teenager that starts to question you and not just questions you but actually has the technology to prove that you're wrong? Well, right now it doesn't seem scary because the idea of having a teenager, it's would say, oh, that's something I do when I'm like almost 50. Well, let's, don't yeah. worry about it. So you're just – yeah, you're not going to worry about it until you have to worry about it. Yeah. And then I'll, you know, then it, at that point, it's kind of like, you know, you, you get a uh, sunburn. Nobody goes into it thinking like, oh, at the end of the day, I want to be nursing a sunburn. But you get the sunburn and 
once you have it, there's, you can't go back. Yeah. So at that point, you just try to figure out how to survive the sunburn. And I figure that's what it's like raising teenagers. Oh, you, kids you know. are better than sunburns. Really? Well, yeah. They last a lot Kids longer. don't cause cancer. <laughs> it's not going to. It's sunburn sounds. Depends so. how long they leave the microwave running. And kids don't peel after. They peel out. They, they peel, borrow your car. Yeah, they peel constantly. Uh, interesting. I've never heard of the sunburn metaphor. Neither had I until that uh, moment. Just made it up. <laughs> One of those magic moments brought to you by BYU Radio. Well, Rob, appreciate it, my friend. Uh, really cool little lessons I think we learned today from Dr. Picard. One of my favorites is um, the idea that if you want closeness, if you want intimacy – um, lay down the law. One way Rob without children says is lay down the law. Another way is to look for similarity and conflict. Conflict uh, is a great way to actually learn more about your partner and your wife and your children. Also, so is the similarity. The similarity brings us closer. We feel better about each other when we do it. But the conflict also has the ability to teach us something and to really show our true colors. One of my favorite thoughts is the idea that how you handle your most difficult child is really the best example to everyone else in the family about how you'll handle them when they're difficult. So remember that uh, how you go about handling your most difficult teenager is communicating a lot to everyone about um, about how you handle conflict yourself, about how you accept people, especially how you accept them. Also, don't be very quick to get rid of your children's friends. Um, even if you don't like them, there's a lot to learn about that. For some reason, they are choosing those friends. I'd be sure you're really clear why. I'd go in and try to understand why do they keep choosing the friends that uh, maybe have all the piercings or all of the tattoos. Why are they choosing that instead of just the clean cut, whatever? Uh, There's a lot to learn from your kids. Um, And one of the great things we might learn more than anything is just, I don't know, some tolerance, some understanding. And uh, remember, the parents can learn just as much from the kids as the kids can from the children. Or as the parents, they can learn from the parents. Folks, thanks for joining us. We love having you on the show and listening to all these great ideas. Join us tomorrow. We're going to be doing it again.